come together uh, to preach God's Word today. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we have been out of our study of Matthew since November. <clears throat> we, uh, we did a series. Uh, we didn't call it an Advent series, but it was, it was kind of an Advent series. And, and we were drawing our attention to uh, making sure that we weren't missing Christ in the midst, in the midst of, of Christmas. And so we did four weeks of that. And I just didn't... Uh, feel the, the unction, if I can say it that way, to jump right back into Matthew uh, when we started in January, and then I was sick one week, and then, uh, then we had the snow the next. So we, we dealt with Joshua last week, but here we are on January 21st, and we're going to go ahead and, and, and dive back in uh, to, to our study of Matthew. Uh, today, specifically, we're going to be looking at chapter 6, uh, verses 19 through 24. It is in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you remember uh, reading through the Gospel of Matthew, maybe in, 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 uh, at some earlier time in your Christian walk, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 constitute the, the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous sermons. And, and people came from all over to hear Jesus speak. And as we uh, gather together in his name, we are gathering together to hear his words and apply it to our lives. Uh, I would encourage you that the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he indwells you. And he is there to lead you, to guide you, to give you insight into things. And, and so as, as I preach as anyone preaches here. Please be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit might be doing in your life. I may make an application that touches you. I may not. But maybe through this, the Holy Spirit's going to be working in your life as we engage in His Word. We started the, uh, the, we didn't start the service, but the scripture reading today was out of Psalm 119. And every aspect, every verse of that psalm touches on the importance of God's law, God's statute, God's word, God's precepts. All these different words that, that convey the same thing. We are relying upon God. The psalmist is relying upon God. I, I am not going to drift too far from your word, Lord. Don't let me drift far from your word. It is with me daily. I am going to uh, worship you in it. I'm going to be uh, chastised by it. I'm going to be reminded of it daily. And so as we get into his word this morning, I I want to encourage you, let's be like David and, and have a desire for God's word to, to impact our lives in such a way where we can't live a day without it. So I, as, as we get into chapter 6 again, I, I, I'm going to rewind just for the sense of context. I'm not going to re-preach any sermons, but I, I'm just going to take a, a few minutes and just draw us back into what is going on in the Sermon on the Mount. And so as, as we see, I see as Jesus' disciples, that's us, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you've not come to faith in Jesus Christ, I mean, I do, I do like to point that out. Not everybody that comes to church is a disciple of Jesus Christ. There are those that are here, and, and they, they might enjoy being here. I hope you enjoy being here. Uh, you may not understand what all the songs are, are, the meaning of the songs, or even some of the words I might use, but I, I hope you enjoy your time here. But if you've never come to faith in Jesus, we, we invite you to come to faith in, in, in Jesus, who is God's Son, 
sent here to redeem you. To, to, he's paid the price of all sin of all time. And, and he, God is inviting you to come to faith in his son so that you can have forgiveness of those sins and live in right relationship with God, right fellowship with people. We enjoy our faith, and we're not shy. And as we talk about the, the purpose, of, or one of the themes I'll mention, the theme of, of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, we as, as disciples of Jesus, Jesus Christ, we are called to live out kingdom righteousness. It's not just to know kingdom righteousness, it's to live it out. It's to wake up in the morning and treat our spouse or treat our sibling or, or treat whoever else might be in the home or, or to, to go to work and, and to live out, to, to express our faith in such a way where people will know that God has made a difference in our life because of the King, Jesus. And it's His teachings that we are trying to follow as we, as certainly at all times, but specifically here as he's teaching how to live out kingdom righteousness in the world that doesn't quite understand him and often, more often than not, rejects him. So again, again, it is the theme of a Sermon on the Mount, living out in kingdom righteousness. And so as uh, back in November, we started chapter 6, and Pastor Dave preached the first uh, sermon in this section. And so, uh, but as, as, we, as we look, he starts off chapter 6, verse 1, with take heed. He's saying, listen, there's something that you need to be aware of. There's something that you need to be cautious about. There, in a sense, it's, it's a warning. He's saying, take heed. And, he, and what are we supposed to take heed of? Well, that you do not do. We're talking about doing something. And so we are very active people. We enjoy doing things. Uh, uh, often on Sundays we enjoy sleeping in, right? Uh, that doesn't work for me, but I hope it works for some of you, all right? Uh, so take heed that you do not do your what? Your charitable deeds. And we, as Dave preached the message, and, and those are available on YouTube, and you can go back and hear his defense of why the term righteous acts is actually a better translation than charitable deeds. I'm not going to re-preach and, and, and make that, but he makes a, a very compelling argument, and I agree with him, and some of your translations may say righteous acts. Uh, actually, most translations just say righteousness. Uh, they say, take heed that you do not do your righteousness. But if you're doing something, you're, it's an action. So that's why we are using this uh, righteous acts. Take heed that you do not do righteous acts before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward for your Father in heaven. And, and so uh, as, as we look at this, uh, we, we have to understand there's something going on. We're taking heed. We're being cautious. We're being warned about doing these righteous acts. Now, we're talking about genuine righteous actions, right? We'll look at those in a minute. But we're doing them with the wrong motivation, or at least Jesus is warning us not to do them with the wrong motivation. To Don't do them before men to be seen by them. Now, I could take a moment and I could, I could go to prayer. I opened the service in prayer. Prayer is one of the actions that we're going to talk about here in a minute. And, and so was I violating scripture by praying in front of you? No, we were doing that corporately. Well, hopefully, we were, we were engaged in that prayer together. What he's saying, it's not, it's not wrong to do things before other people because you often do it with other people. The danger that we're supposed to take heed of is that we're doing these righteous acts to be seen by others. It's the idea that we want to appear holy. We want to appear good. We want to, we want to appear better than 
what we truly know ourselves to be. That is the danger, that we will, we will seek to do these righteous acts. Well, what righteous acts are we talking about? Well, in Acts, uh, excuse me, the first act, action, is, uh, is giving, or, or to give to the poor and the needy, verse 2 of chapter 6. Uh, in verse 5, where he says, listen, uh, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't give like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the hi- hypocrites. And then verse 16 says, don't fast like the hypocrites. There were aspects, we're not going to revisit all of it, but there's aspects of all those righteous acts which we must take heed that we're doing it, make sure we're not motivated by being seen by others. But in the text, in all those texts, we see that God reveals to us, Jesus reveals to us in the text that there is an immediate reward. When when people desire to to do these actions uh, before men and to be seen by them, that's their motivation. He says there is an immediate reward. And what is that immediate reward? We receive approval from men. That, that, That is the goal. We get what we're looking for. You often say, be careful what you ask for, right? Well, be careful what you're doing. Because listen, take heed, this is a warning. You're doing these righteous acts to be seen by men. And guess what? They're watching and you're getting what you asked for. And that's where it stops. Because as you go on in the text, it says they have their reward. They have their reward. They're, they're praying in front of others. Excuse me, they're giving in front of others. You know, They have the reward. People, people are responding, right? In prayer, they have the reward. People are watching. They have the reward. Fasting, they can see that you are drawn a face and that you are sad. But what is our heavenly reward? We are talking about righteous acts, are we not? I mean, giving to the poor, praying, fasting. Are those not righteous acts? Yes, they are. That's why they're called that. But when they're done in such a way to be seen by others, what heavenly reward do we receive? None. There's no merit. I am always reminded when I come across that word merit of my upbringing. Not that it was taught in such a clear-cut way, but I had the understanding that I could please God with my good deeds, my righteous acts. I could go to this place at a certain time of the week and I could sit there for about 45 minutes, to, you know, and, and, and then I could walk away and I could feel like I was good with God. And then I came across the gospel, which was shared with me by those who I respected. And I, and, and I read God's word and in the reading of God's word, I was convicted of my sin, and I realized I have nothing to offer. Jesus has done it all. He's taken care of everything possible. And although I have that, uh, as I compare myself back then, as I compare myself to others around me, I could say, well, I'm better than them. I was falling short of God's standard of perfection, that standard that only Jesus Christ can meet. And so when we talk about doing these righteous acts to be seen with a wrong motivation to be seen by others, we get their applause. We don't get God's. We, we, we are in no way in store for heavenly rewards. So as Jesus' disciples, we are called to live out this kingdom righteousness that he's explaining. And we've, we've touched on many parts of what this kingdom righteousness looks like. 
But I want to just focus on today that God rewards genuine acts of righteousness. We should not run away from the idea that there are rewards waiting for believers in heaven. Uh, As we talk about uh, in 1 Peter, we're told that we have an inheritance reserved for us. It is secure. No one can take it away. But it's only for believers. And and these, these rewards we get... Are, are ones that God chooses to give, and we cannot enumerate them. Well, we, we're not going to take the time, but I know there's a brother of Christ, I think, in the room that, uh, that has say, why don't we ever talk about uh, the crowns that, that Scripture talks about believers receiving? And, but listen, I'm just going to highlight, God talks about crowns that believers receive, rewards that believers receive, because God does reward genuine acts of righteousness. Uh, if you look at Matthew 6, uh, 1 through 18, this, this whole section we've been looking up to this point, when we're talking about giving, he's saying, listen, if you're going to do the righteous act correctly, he says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you're giving. When he says praying, he says, listen, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. In other words, go into your closet, pray to the Father in secret. And, and the Father who is in secret, who knows the heart, who knows everything, He'll reward. We'll look at that in the next slide. And when you're fasting, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. So so we, we can see that all these things God rewards. The genuine acts of righteousness God rewards. How he rewards, what he rewards, when he well, when is pretty. All these are future tense. This is not something that we are that we get now. Uh, there are certainly things that we get in this life, uh, blessings from God and God's grace. But we're talking about this future time where God is going to reward those who are following him in righteousness. So if God rewards genuine acts of righteousness, uh, which uh, we're going to go through there, uh, I, I forgot. I, gave, I wanted to give you an example from Scripture that we're going to encounter uh, a little bit. Uh, it's, it's this rich young ruler guy. This is a great example for us to engage in. Now behold, one came to him and said, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Again, there's some wrong theology going there as we, as we talk you know, New Testament theology and understand what's necessary for his salvation. He says, What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And, and Jesus says to him, if you want, a few verses later, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. There's that treasure again. Uh, and come follow me. And so uh, uh, this is an invitation that Jesus gives to this individual. I think this invitation is given to us. There are things in our lives, right? We, if you desire eternal life and you've never received it, I am not going to tell you to go sell all you have and follow me. I'm going to say, take an assessment of your life and see what idols are in your way from following Jesus. What things are you preoccupied by, distracted by, are are finding more important in your life than Jesus? Because this young man, he, he says that Jesus gave him a great invitation to come to faith in him. But it says in verse 22, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. Why? For he had great possessions. There were a lot of things that he had in this life. And to give them up was a 
uh, a bridge too far. It was a line in the sand. He was not ready to cross. So what makes our acts of righteousness genuine? This is what I thought before we gave the example. As we talk about God rewarding genuine acts of righteousness, what makes our acts of righteousness genuine? I'm going to give you two aspects of this, two answers to this. When they are done in faith for God's eyes only. I want you to think about this for a minute. I, I use that font down there. If you've ever been in government work and you see top secret or, you know, classified, it's always in that font, so I put that there, right? When, when, when they are done in faith for God's eyes only, that's what he's been saying this whole time in verses 1 through 18. He's saying, listen, whether it's giving, praying, fasting, do it so just God is noticing and no one else. I wonder if you can look back in your life and remember a time where you didn't do it right, where you actually were happy to receive the applause of, of those around you or, or the approval, I guess I should say, the approval of those around you. I know it's happened to me. I, I'm, I have my moments, right, uh, when throughout my, my ministry years where you'd, and, you, know, you say something that inside you're like, wow, that was profound. They must think I'm really smart. Doesn't happen often. I try to keep it simple, but I'll say, hey, listen, I can remember those moments. Like, and, and, and hopefully in those moments, you're recalling it, and you're like, oh, Lord, forgive me. Uh, that's, that's not what I meant, right? I want to deflect all glory to God. And so as, as we look here, genuine acts of righteousness must be done in faith. And they must be done in, they must be done in faith for God's eyes only. Don't do it for for them. That's basically chapter 6, 1 through 18. As we go into verse 19, we see that what another aspect of genuine righteousness is that they must be done in faith with eyes only for God. Notice the distinction there. For God's eyes only and eyes only for God. We just sang it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful faith. His face, excuse me. And uh, and I like that new rendition of it, by the way. When we, if we're going to be living out kingdom righteousness and we know that our life is genuinely pleasing to God, we must keep our eyes on him alone and not be seeking the approval of others. So to only have eyes for God, and this is where the rest of the sermon, this is where we're going to get into 19, verses 19 through 24. To only have eyes for God, we must have him as our treasure. And, and, and I think this is, as we look at the text, he says in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor, uh, nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Uh, so, so we see this contrast. We're, we're, we're offered many contrasts. The whole Sermon on the Mount is a contrast. We can live for the world, what the world has, or we can live for Jesus. We can, we can live in such a way that it makes sense to everyone around us, or we can live in a way that really doesn't make sense to everyone, but genuine believers understand this is what glorifies God. This is what pleases God. And he's saying there's this, this idea of accumulating things. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. So we are talking about earthly things. And as, as we go through this text, I, we have to be careful. Things aren't evil. 
The commandments tell us, as we talk about the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, right? As we talk about our covetousness, you know, it's like, this, listen, the fact that my neighbor has something that I don't have should cause me to rejoice for that person. But the law says don't covet it. Don't think, well, I, he shouldn't have that. I should have that. And there's all kinds of things we can covet and all kinds of people we can covet. And, and he's saying, listen, the treasures on this earth, the things that this world supplies, listen, there's nothing evil in and of themselves, but it's your desire for them that may be a problem. He's saying, listen, your desire is to lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's, that's the warning. It's part of the warning. He's saying, don't do this, Right? We are supposed to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And so we see that God rewards genuine uh, righteousness, living out this righteousness. Um, and there is this treasures in heaven. And I'm saying that, uh, going back here, we must have him as our treasure. I'm going to explain this a little bit more in a moment. But I'm just saying we must have God as our treasure. And I don't, I don't presume to know your heart and your mind. But I would say there are many people who, who myself included, at times will, will, will demonstrate, that's not, my, he's not my treasure. Uh, and, and we, so this is, this is uh, the, the whole Sermon on the Mount is, is Jesus telling his disciples, this is what ought to be true of your life. It's not necessarily true, but it ought to be true, and it is what you are supposed to pursue. So we are supposed to pursue having God as our treasure, and I challenge you this morning to ask yourself, is he? Is he your treasure? Because we're supposed to uh, uh, honor him. And right, we're supposed to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, and so we see these treasures on earth are the are the things that that uh, this world supplies, right? Uh, and and we, what we see, where moth and, and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, and we see that today's earthly treasure is tomorrow's trash. I was hoping I'd get an amen, but I was just like, hey, I, you know, we, we we you know where we go every weekend? We go every weekend. Well, almost every weekend, uh, we have a dump date, all right? The transfer station for you proper people, right? We have a dump date, and we go there, and we get rid of our recycles. We get rid of our yard waste. We get rid of our uh, trash. But before we get rid of the trash, we stop in this little thing called the swap shop. I got an amen on that one, didn't I? Right? Listen, the swap shop, you can go there, and what is it? It's trash. Now, I will, I will actually, I didn't plan on saying this, but I remember being a teenager in Germany and dumpster diving, okay? I mean, it was a military thing, right? You're in a military place, and people throw out some amazing things, and you're like, oh, boom, you know? You know, the, the, the swap shop is just a nicer way of, of seeing what other people are throwing away. Now, again, it's a good thing because people realize there's some things that still have value that, are, that, that I no longer need. So we drop things off at the swap shop. But we have picked up some pretty amazing stuff, like brand new stuff at the swap shop. And I'm not embarrassed to say it. Thank you. I'll say thank you. Maybe I picked up yours, right? I don't know. But today's earthly treasure is tomorrow's trash. Even those things we picked up, they're decaying. 
They're rusting. It says, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The, the treasures that are on this earth are destined for decay. They're destined to, to be destroyed at some level. Uh, they, they may even be destined to be taken. I, I did listen to a, a sermon by John MacArthur, uh, and, and he, it, it, I'm not going to, I thought, should I repeat it? It's too long. But he, ta- he talks about all the things, right? He says some people are thing stealers, and they will come and take your things. I have a friend of mine, while we were down in, in uh, Fort Bragg, now Fort Liberty, North Carolina, where he had a, special, uh, a rare coin. Uh, I think it was rare coins or, or just gold bullion or some, some, some precious metal. And he had it hidden away in his house. And would you not know that a thief came and stole it? I mean, it's, we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars. Just stolen. Uh, that's, maybe you've had things stolen in your life. They're just things. But it hurts. And, 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 and maybe you've been through that experience. And, but maybe God taught you the very clear lesson that things in this world are just temporary. But the things that are of God's are eternal. So, so he, he contrasts the treasures on earth where, where it's destined for decay, it's destined for trash. So earthly treasures are temporary, but heavenly treasures are eternal. That's that inheritance that we talked about. And so he says, treasure, these treasures in heaven where no moth, there's no decay, there's no death, there's no diminishing. These treasures in heaven, these things that, these rewards that were just talked about in verses 1 through 18, these things that God says, I will honor your genuine righteousness by giving you rewards. You, I'm going to reserve them for you. They're going to be waiting for you. You're not going to experience all of them in this life. Most of them will be reserved. I think there are blessings that we receive from God. But he's saying these treasures in heaven, they last forever. So if, if, if we are saying that we are supposed to not lay up treasures on earth, but to lay up treasures in heaven, the question is why? Why is Jesus teaching us this simple, this simple thing? Don't pursue what this world has to offer. Pursue heaven, pursue God, right? But what does he say? Well, he says in the next verse, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the main point of what? What Jesus is trying to get across. Remember, he's saying, right, true, genuine righteousness, right? It's, 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 when, it's when it's conducted in faith with, with, for God's eyes only, right? And with our eyes only upon God. And so where is your treasure? Because that is where your heart will be. And if you find that your life is somehow difficult, you, you, you lack understanding why you continue to have issue after issue after issue, then maybe there's a, maybe you're treasuring the wrong thing. Maybe you have, you have to evaluate your life to see, you know, listen, I, my heart is troubled. I can't find peace. I can't find satisfaction I can't find victory in Jesus. I'm a believer, but I, I just, I, I'm not finding this victory. Well, where is your treasure? Because that's where your heart will be. Remember, uh, uh, 
uh, one of my favorite passages, but uh, Proverbs 13, 12 uh, says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's the idea of our heart is sick, and when we have this expectation, we have this desire, and it's unmet, and it's unmet, and, it's, and some of those desires are very genuine, and when they're not met, it makes our heart sick. But when the desire comes, that genuine God-honoring desire comes, it is a tree of life. It is the picture of growth and health and joy and satisfaction. And, and so for where, where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. And Jesus is just trying, saying to his disciples, listen, lay up treasures in heaven. Don't let this world beat you down or restrict your growth in faith. If we're talking about earthly versus heavenly treasures, why am I challenging us to have God as our treasure? And so here's the answer. Because if we have our desires upon the reward, I'm telling you God rewards those who, who diligently seek him. I actually mentioned that, right? If we have our desires upon the reward, then we are guilty of idolatry. We talked about idolatry. Anything that supplants or surpasses the importance of God in our life is an idol. Even if we're pursuing, I want, I want heavenly treasures. Oh, I'm going to have more treasures than you. That's a wrong attitude. That's idolatry. So we must have our eyes on the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think we can take joy in the knowledge that we have an inheritance. We have rewards. We have all these things coming to us. I think we can take joy in that. But as, as we are as people, we're fickle, we're, we're, we're actually very weak, and, and sometimes we will let our eyes drift from Jesus, drift from uh, God the Father, and, and, and we will look upon, well, Romans 1 talks about it, we will worship the creation rather than the creator. It's kind of that, that idea. So we are to have God as our treasure. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 is where this text comes from. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's who God is. And we should rejoice in it. I wanted to read for you. Uh, it will be up on the screen. It's, it's a longer psalm, so, so bear with me. But I thought, what, what, what's an illustration of someone who's been down this road? What can we learn from those who have walked this path before us? And Asaph is certainly someone who's walked many, many years before us, walked this road. But Psalm 73, I'm going to actually read it for you, but if you want to turn in your Bibles, it's a great psalm to, to make clear what is going on in this text in, in uh, Matthew 6. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. This is, this is Asaph saying, listen, you know, we heard, heard those words, take heed. Asaph is saying, listen, I almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. I had come on the precipice of making a really grave error. I didn't, but I got really, really close. For I was envious of the boastful. Notice where his eyes are. It's on this world. I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their teeth, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. 
Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. Again, this is all talking about what he's seeing, these prosperous people, these people that, that he is env- he's, he's finding himself envious of. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? That's bold speech for, for someone that seems to, they seem to think that they've arrived on their own. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. So here, here, is, here is this Asaph on the, on the precipice of making a great error. He says, listen, surely, and his conclusion in that moment was, surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. I'm, I'm not seeking the treasures of this world. I am, I am seeking the, the approval of God in my life. But surely it's, it's, in va- it's vain. It's vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And I've washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. This is Asaph's life. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. He's saying, listen, I'm on this precipice, but I haven't crossed over, but I, I, I'm finding myself envious, and, and I would say in my heart that I, 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 it's been in vain And he says, if I had said, I will speak thus, all those things, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children, God. I would have been untrue. As a man of God leading others and preaching God's word and uh, and leading people in worship, I, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like Asaph. And you don't understand why is it? I'm trying to please God. I want to please God. I'm living, to, but I, I, I'm, I'm barely scraping by. I'm getting, I'm getting made fun of. Uh, I, 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 I want to do what's right. I, I remember my son telling me when, when he was just a, a little kid, and he had a friend that played with him on a regular basis until the other kids got home from school. And then he left my son and went to play with the other friends. And they wanted to do things that were not right. And my son would come home and in tears. He's like, Daddy, why don't, why don't other boys want to do what's right? That'll make you proud of your son, right? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Wait, this, is, this, is, this is that moment, right? He was having an ASAF moment. When I thought it was too painful. Why? But look at 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. I almost stepped off. I was envious. I almost stepped off. I almost spoke words I shouldn't have spoken, but I didn't. And when it was too painful for me, I, I went to the sanctuary, and then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation, as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. 
I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. He's repenting. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. Picture that, you know, the parent holding the little child by the hand, right? This is God. Nevertheless, I can, I'm continually with you. I've never left your presence, God. You are with me. You hold me by your right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? This is, this is the point. Asaph's having an understanding that God is his treasure. Whom have I in heaven but you? The answer is no one, nothing, right? There's, uh, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. Jesus is telling us in the Sermon on the Mount what Asaph had learned the hard way. And that we often learn the hard way, but Jesus is saying it very clearly. Lay up for your heaven, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Asaph was coming to a realization that they were true for him too. God was his treasure, and there is nothing upon the earth that I desire besides you, God. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are a who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry, and I will say idolatry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. This is Asaph's testimony. All right? So I, I think this is, as we talk about the, the sermon, uh, scripture reading, excuse me, the scripture reading out of Psalm 119, David had his experience. Asaph has his experience. Both of them came to an understanding of the importance of God in their life and that there is nothing more important than God. He must be our treasure. We must see his rewards as greater riches than, than what this world has to offer. We won't spend much time on, on these points because I think the main point is that, is that we are to have only eyes for God. He must be our treasure. And we must see his rewards as greater riches than what this world has to offer. I think I've already made that point. But as we get into verse 22 and 23, we see that there's this, this imagery that, that, that uh, Jesus gives. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If, therefore, your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Some people really struggle but in the con with understanding what this means. But in the context, if you stay in context, uh, it could be a specific idea of, of, of money and possessions, laying up treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth. Uh, and I think there is a direct connection there. But he, he talks about this lamp of the body as the eye. It was, it was a way of explaining. They certainly didn't have all the medical knowledge that we have. Uh, well, certainly Jesus did. But the people he was speaking to, right? He says the lamp of the body is the eye. How do we see? It's through this, these right here. We, we see light comes in, we, we see things, but it's the seeing of the things, laying up treasures on this earth is because we're seeing them. We see them, they've got our attention. 
He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, in other words, you're seeing all this stuff, but you're giving praise to God, you're understanding that all things in this world are his, and and anything we experience is by his grace. He says, your whole body will be full of light. If you have the right outlook of light uh, in your life, it's from God. He says, life is good. But if your eye is bad, your whole body would be full of darkness. It's the idea of you're blinded to the reality that laying up treasures in heaven is actually the most important thing. Esteeming others, loving others, doing all the one another's of Scripture, all those things, the praying, the fasting, the giving. Uh, it's, 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 yeah, I think it's inexhaustible, the things that we can do as worship and as acts of righteousness for, for, in our life. But he's saying, listen, if, if you're not seeing all that stuff, you're blinded. He says, and you become darkness. And if therefore the light that is in you, if the things that you are seeing are actually the things that are distracting you from God, then, oh my, what darkness you are experiencing. It's, 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 a, it's a, a metaphor of sorts. It's a, uh, it's a way of us understanding that he's saying, what he's saying, pursue God, right? Have him as your treasure. Don't allow the world, the things of this world uh, to, let me, no, I got to keep going here. All right, we must see his rewards as greater riches than what the world has to offer. And that's hard at times. Last thing we see, to only have eyes for God, we must have undivided loyalty to him. So we see here, no one can serve two masters. We're familiar with this text. Again, it's another illustration of the point he's trying to make. It's like, have God as your treasure, right? Be looking to see him in all things and in all ways. Secondly, when you're serving, you can only serve, genuinely serve one uh, one master. It says no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Those are parallel statements basically saying you can't divide your loyalty. There were actually slaves that were, one illustration I read about were brothers. Two brothers own the same slave. It's like, well, if one brother made that slave free, he was still slave to the other brother. And, it, and it's, so, it's, so it's the idea of the, the, this, uh, this undivided loyalty. When we look at God as our treasure, when we see only God in our life, we can't serve possessions. We can't serve uh, all the things of this world. And so I have a visual for you, all right? Welcome to our living room, all right? Who said it? Go socks, right? This is our living room. There is a theme to our living room. Our living room would not be characterized as a formal living room. It is very informal. Uh, These are the things that my wife loves. These are not my things. These are my wife's things. My wife is a diehard Red Sox fan. She also likes Snoopy. He's kind of prominent in the picture, okay? But I'm really talking about the Red Sox. So as I talk about undivided loyalty, I want to ask you to consider, if you know my wife, loving Christine, is a diehard, passionate Red Sox fan, and you were to come to our house, and see New York Yankee paraphernalia all over our house, you would say, something's not right. I'm confused. Wait a minute. You say this, 
but you're living this. Thankfully, she is a diehard Red Sox fan, and she's able to do that. But I'm just saying, listen, you can't serve God and mammon. It's the idea. You cannot say, I'm a child of God. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, and, and yet, seek to serve the enemy. You, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You cannot sit there and say, this is true in my life. And then your life does not exemplify it. It's not lived out. You cannot, the, the idea of mammon is that it's often translated money, but it's really possessions as a whole, riches, things of value. You cannot serve God and the possessions that are distracting you from him at the same time. So to only have eyes for God, we must have him as our treasure. And his rewards are greater riches than what this world has to offer. You have to look at, if you want to get through life, you got to, these are the things that you got to realize. We must have undivided loyalty to him. So as Jesus' disciples, we are called to live out our righteousness. And, and, and understand that God rewards these genuine acts of righteousness. So what makes our acts of righteousness genuine? Again, they are done in faith for God's eyes only, and they are done with eyes only for God. So I'm repeating it, but I want to, now I want to ask you, are your eyes for God's only? Are your eyes upon Jesus? I, I, if I had known, actually, I didn't look ahead of time when I did this. I didn't know we were going to sing that song before the sermon. We, we could have sung it afterwards. But it's a great uh, prompting. Are our eyes for God only? What false treasures of this world are drawing your attention away from God? Those are the questions that I think we have to ask ourselves as we seek to be salt and light. As we, as we want to practice Matthew 5, uh, 16, which is, uh, uh, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your, God in glorify your Father in heaven. Right? As we seek to do that, we have to make sure that we don't, we're not worshiping Something else besides God. What false treasures of this world are drawing your attention away from God? I think they're out there. He started the, the chapter with take heed. And I think that's what we need to finish with here. Take heed that you and I don't allow these things to distract us from kingdom righteousness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and for the, the power that it has to communicate your truth uh, to your children in a way that we can actually prosper in this life. And by prosper, we mean prosper in you in, in understanding you more fully and more deeply. We thank you, Father, that we have certain possessions in our life. Some of us in this room have more than others. I could also say some of us have less than some, of the, some others. No matter which way we look at it, we're comparing self to, to, uh, to others. But, Lord, help us to understand that everything that we possess in this world is part of this world. And it will not make its way into eternity. But as we lay up for ourselves, as we accumulate treasures in heaven, Lord, it's those things that are done in faith. It's those things that are done for your glory. Father, we need, we need help. We need help to see where we're distracted. We need help to see where, where we're erring and we're going down a wrong path. And Father, we, we beseech you that you would draw us to yourself, that you would give us a right perspective of our belongings. 
which are often just blessings from you. But Father, may we not be deceived that your blessings are the same as treasuring you. We can be thankful for your blessings and yet still walk away. So Father, I pray that you would enable us to, to, to place this truth center stage in our life, maybe as an individual, maybe as a family, and talk about the things. And Lord, where we need to repent, I pray that we repent. Where we need to rejoice, Father, help us rejoice. Father, I pray that we would truly treasure you from this time forth and forevermore. Lord, certainly when we're in your presence, we know that will be true. Between now and then, Father, we pray for strength to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.